Well, good morning, everybody. So today we're in Isaiah chapter 58, and um, in Isaiah 57, we heard uh, God's message to his people who had literally made their beds with the idols. And of these, there were kind of two groups of people. There were the truly wicked, and then there were those that were chosen to be part of the redeemed. And he says, if you look in Isaiah 57, 15, he says that God will be with those with a contrite heart. A contrite heart. It says, for thus says the high and exalted one, who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So how do we get a soft heart? How do we get a contrite heart? Well, it's the same way that we get one today, right? It's the action of the Holy Spirit to convict us from sin, to turn our heart so that it is now uh, not going our way, but now aligned with God and going in His way. Uh, you know, repentance is where we agree with God about our sin. God knows what sin is. Repentance is when we agree with that. And that's how we get a soft heart. And when it says to revive the heart of the contrite, that's in effect descri describing salvation. And in today's passage, we're going to look at uh, the manifestations of what it means to have a soft heart and what the difference is between those who do and, and don't. And in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 57, again by way of lead-in, there's a couple, of, a couple of phrases there that are worth um, uh, underlining. Uh, in verse 18 it says, I've seen his ways. In other words, I, I know, I know, the people that I'm talking about. I've seen his ways, but, and you could almost say, in spite of that, I mean, it doesn't say in spite of that, but when I hear that but, that's what I hear. I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. And in verse 19, it says, uh, peace, peace to him who is far and to him who is near, says the Lord, I will heal him. There's there's work to be done on our heart. And that's, I mean, that's ultimately where, where it all happens, right? So chapter 58 is going to be about the comparison of what's in our hearts and what our actions are. And uh, it's, it's a theme that shows up uh, here in the Old Testament. It shows up in the New Testament. And, and we'll see that um, as we go in. So I was thinking, uh, again, I think several verses may, may start to, to resonate uh, with you uh, that might be familiar as we go through this, uh, this chapter. But uh, one that kind of came to mind as I was thinking about this concept of the heart, and that's Matthew 12, 34. The last part says, for out of the abundance, or out of the overflow 
of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, the things that come out of our mouth, this is so scary, <laughs> the things that come out of our mouth are the overflow of what's in our heart. It's, that's not that good news if you're not a Christian <laughs> because it's, it's hard. I mean, and even for the Christian, it's hard to control that tongue, right? We, we know that in James. But out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think we'll see that when God talks about worship and fasting, He's really concerned about what's in the heart. And what is showing is definitely not uh, what he wants to see. So let's pick up with uh, chapter 58. It says in verse 1, Cry loudly. This is God talking to uh, Isaiah. Cry loudly. Do not hold back. Raise your trumpet like a... I'm sorry. Raise your voice like a trumpet. And declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Verse 2, yet they seek me day by day and to like to know my ways. And as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God, they ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Verse 2 says, this is, I'm getting part of what I want, right? Um, However you take it from the perspective of um, uh, maybe someone who starts off dedicated and committed, you know, like the, that parable in the New Testament about the seed that grew up quickly but didn't last. Um, or you could take it from the perspective of someone who appears to be doing all the right things, but the depth and the the... The heart change just isn't there. This is God saying, you know, this is, this is what I'm really looking for. But then verse 3 highlights that what it looks like on the outside is not really what's there. <coughs> verse 3 says, Why have we fasted and thou dost not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and thou dost not notice? Now the voice switches to the complainers. This is the complainers talking. These are the people saying, God, look it. There's an old Peanuts cartoon where Charlie Brown's little sister says, look it, Charlie Brown, look it. The people are saying, look it, God. Look at what we're doing. We've been fasting. Have you not noticed? We've humbled ourselves. Didn't you notice? I mean, that's kind of funny, right? <laughs> Look how modest we've been. Isn't this great? <laughs> What's up? And, you know, this is, this is where God is, you know, this is why God is telling Isaiah, cry loudly. You know, God's saying, well, I thought of the, I don't know why I thought of this. When I was reading this first, you know, I thought of the Apollo 13 movie where they, they almost get the quote right. Um, 
they said, Houston, we've had a problem. <laughs> uh, in the movie, it, they change a little bit. Houston, we have a problem. We've had a problem. We have a problem. And God's saying, we have a problem. Verse 3, let's read it again. Why have we fasted and you didn't see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you did not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire and drive hard all of your workers. So here's the answer. On the day you're fasting, it's because it's something you want to do. And while you're fasting, you're working your people too hard. Verse 4, Behold, you fast for contention and strife, to strike with a wicked fist. You don't fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this, which I choose a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? In other words, you know, look at, look at your fasting. Um, this is not what I'm looking for. Now, the concept of fasting shows up a, f a fair amount in the Old Testament and some in the New Testament as well. Um, the interesting thing is, and, and part of the background for this, is there was really only one day that they were commanded to fast. And that was on the Day of Atonement. One day a year on the Day of Atonement that that one day when the sacrifice was done to cover uh, the sins of the people. Just one day. But here they are doing all this fasting that he didn't command. And the point, as we'll see, is they're not doing the things that he did command. So God's not saying that there's anything wrong with fasting. But it's like, you're doing something that I really didn't tell you to do, and you're not even doing it right. And not only that, you're not doing the things I told you to do. And it comes down, as we'll see, it's all about the heart. So, verses 6 and fo following, uh, 6 and 7, describe what is it that God really wants. It says, is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh? In other words, here's, here's what I want. I want you taking care of people. I want you looking for the people that are less fortunate. I want you taking care of the people who are hungry. I want you to take care of the people that are homeless. I want you to cover the people that don't have clothing. And then the last one says, and I don't, you know, of course God wouldn't say this unless they were doing this. They were trying to avoid their own family that needed help. It says, don't, don't hide yourself from your own flesh. By all means, please help out your own family. But they were ignoring their own family so they could fast, and then they wondered why God wasn't impressed. <laughs> you know, just parenthetically, 
God bless all the missionaries who have families that are tidy enough that they can leave the country or leave their home and minister. True. For most of the rest of us, our own families usually become our mission field, and we don't have the privilege to leave. Uh, that's just parenthetically. I, I see that all the time where, where, you know, much of the real work of of living out the Christian faith is as we minister to the people that God brings right close to us, and um, uh, that's that's also very valid. Um, and that's not to imply that all missionaries have perfect families. Don't get me wrong. I say that tongue in cheek. Um, verse eight. Here's what happens when it's done right. And I don't think the emphasis is so much on here's what happens when you fast right. I think the emphasis here is here's what it's like when your heart's right. I think this is this is an Old Testament portrait of what salvation is like. This is this is the spiritual promised land, so to speak. This is this is when it's really good with God. Listen to this. I, I think these verses are just amazing. Then, it's a great word, right? Then, your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. In modern terms, God will have your back. Verse 9, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking witness, wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones and you'll be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. I think this is what it means when God says, I'll heal them. I'll heal them. Look at all, look at all these terms of, of making things better. Um, verse 8, your recovery. You'll be satisfied. In verse 10. Your gloom will become like midday. Verse 11, your desires will be satisfied. You'll have strength in your bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden. A garden, a well-watered garden, right? A garden that is so well-watered, it's, it's full. It is, it's got all it needs. This is... This is healing and recovery and restoration. And this is when God says, I'll heal them. I think this is what it means. 
In verse 13, we have another example. You know, this first part was fasting. Uh, This part has to do with keeping the Sabbath. It says, If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Um, you know, it's one thing to keep the rules of the Sabbath for, for them who are under those rules. It's one thing to keep the rules because you're keeping the rules. It's another altogether to keep the rules because that's the day you set aside to commune with God. It, it says, then you will take delight in the Lord. And the whole point of it is, God is delighted when we get our delight in Him. Right? That is the essence of true worship. I've turned, we're going to pick up a few uh, Old Testament references, I mean uh, New Testament references. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We spent some time in all those books. Colossians chapter 2. Uh, look at, uh, I guess, starting with verse 16. It says, Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels and taking stand on visions and so forth. Verse 19, And not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments grows, etc., It's not about the Sabbath. It's about connecting with Christ. If you turn back a little further to the um, front of the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 6, We have this concept of the the outward evidence of the inward change. Matthew 6.16 And it says, And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will repay you. In other words, well, it's pretty obvious. I don't need to really explain it, but if somebody, if you have to look like you've been fasting, if that's important that you look like you've been fasting, 
then you're not really fasting for the right reasons. You just want to fast because you look like you've been fasting. To get some sort of admiration. Wow, he doesn't look so good. He's either sick or he's fasting. I mean, it sounds kind of silly, right? But I mean, we all at sometimes have probably done that, right? Where um, we get a little bit more concerned about what somebody else might think of us rather than what we're really doing on in private, you know. This was um, similar, you know, when the, Jesus and his disciples were observing in the synagogue as, as the people were making their way to the, uh, the treasury and dumping in their money, kind of making a big show of it. Right? That's not what it was all about. That's not real worship. Um, God's always concerned about having our actions be good because our heart's good. He wants, just like he wants the overflow of our heart to be good things that come out of our mouth, he wants the overflow of our lives to be good things that come out of our heart because we've got a changed heart. You know, there was an interesting book, I'm blanking on the name, um, where this, this pastor had read through the Gospels and kind of made the observation a lot of the things Jesus says to do the commands to do this and do that and so forth. He knew they couldn't do them. He knew they couldn't do them. Because the, the, the burden of trying to do things without the Holy Spirit inside is just too great. And the whole point of, you know, that he also made the point that the vast majority of the Gospels happened before the cross. And the commands and the teachings and all these things that didn't make sense to, well, they didn't make sense to the Pharisees and everything, but to be fair, they didn't make a whole lot of sense to the disciples either. But it was all to just add to the weight of how hard it was going to be to do all the things that Jesus was asking them to do because they didn't have their new heart yet. And, you know, lots of people really struggle with trying to do things out of their own uh, energy their, when, when, as we've been told, we, we're supposed to be a conduit and what we do is supposed to be a reflection of the change that's been made. This next little example, I must admit, I don't, I don't totally know where this winds up on Daddy's chart. Um, I mean, I kind of do, but it's hard for me to picture it exactly. If you'll turn while we're in Matthew to chapter 25, and I don't think it's any accident who was the main audience of Matthew? 
Matthew was writing mostly to Jewish Christians. I don't think it's, it's a big accident that these passages that I've been quoting for the most part have been coming from Matthew because the Jews especially would have been probably the most messed up trying to figure this out about doing the ritual versus what was in their heart and doing it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons and you know all of that. But um, you'll, you'll recognize this as Jesus is talking about the final judgment. In Matthew 25, 31, it says, But when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or are thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger or invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. If, if you don't think that our outward actions really need to be a reflection of our inner heart change. You just have to meditate on that passage for a while. That that is going to be part of the calculation to see was your conversion real? Was it real? How do we know? Well, you look at what you did. Now, all those things that are listed, does that sound kind of familiar to the list that Isaiah gave us? Take care of the naked. Take care of the poor. Take care of the, right? It's all about the heart change. All about the heart change. Um, I don't think any of us um, are, are probably um, immune to this. Uh, I think I, I I had to to really think as I was reading all this. And if you if you can't study it without at least acknowledging to yourself, wow. Um, you know, how often is there some hypocrisy in me? You know, and where is the line of doing something because you're supposed to do it and doing it for the right reasons? And it's hard. It's hard. Um, but I, I do think that one of the evidences that you can see in a person who, who knows the Lord is and how they react to other people. 
Jesus said this, right? He said, you know, how will they know that you're mine? What did he tell them? By how you love each other. And that's all this is. It's just evidence of the love that we can have for other people because of the love that he had us. And it's all about being consistent. Any thoughts? I've got one more verse to share, but any any comments on this text? I mentioned James earlier. Um James one twenty seven, I think, sums it up about as good as any. Uh, earlier in the chapter, it talks about being doers of the word and not merely hearers, right? I think that touches on it a little bit. But uh, verse 27 that says, This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father. To show up to church all the time, to read your Bible every day, to give lots of money, to have a great TV ministry. Doesn't say any of those, right? This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father. To visit the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Take care of my people, people, right? And that doesn't save you, but it's pretty good evidence that you're saved, right? It's pretty good evidence that you're saved. All right. Anything else? Dad? Anything? All right. It would have been interesting, um, maybe we could do this one day, if I could hand out, do they still make, like, in women's makeup, the stuff that has the mirror in it when you open it up? Do they still make those? What do you call it? This is a weak spot in my knowledge. But I, I could picture if we all had one of those things sitting up here or if I had one sitting up here as I was talking about this stuff because it really I mean of course the Bible is a great mirror for all of us but um, it's not it's not that easy to to tell myself these things all right well let's pray father we thank you for your word we thank you that above all you really want to heal us. You really want to change our hearts. And that as we have that contrite heart, as we open up ourselves to the Holy Spirit, that you can change us and you can um, uh, align our hearts with yours in such a way that we can see the needs around us, that we can meet the needs around us. And that can, 
to the extent that that we can, that we truly can, as it says, be your hands and feet. Father, help us to um, to have the grace to do the things that we know you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.